Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I am very excited to bring you this guest. It's a person that I actually work with and the grief therapist who also helped me get through some of my grief when my mom had died. The person that I am bringing to you today is Kelly Doherty. She is a certified grief counselor with over 20 years of experience in the field of grief and loss. She's also an LCSWR. Kelly graduated with her bachelor's and master's in social work from Florida State University. This woman has done it all. She has been in like every clinical position that you can think of. She has worked as a therapist, a program manager, and a clinical director at mental health agencies and hospices. Kelly currently owns and operates a private practice, Greater Life Grief Counseling in Malta, New York, and that is actually where my office is too, through Hannah's Healing. So it's been a lot of fun to share office space with her since October we got together and moved in with a bunch of other practitioners there. She has also helped thousands of individuals navigate their grief journey by providing individual and group therapy to children, adolescents, and adults experiencing illness and bereavement. In addition, Kelly co-created Healing Strides, combining grief counseling and mindfulness with walk-run-based therapy. Kelly has dedicated her career to helping individuals integrate their grief into their life in a healthy way by developing healthy coping skills and achieving their goals through the utilization of cutting-edge proven techniques. When Kelly's not working, she enjoys doing her do-it-yourself projects and spending time with her husband, Kevin, who is also supposed to come on my podcast. I'm just going to shout him out because he is he's a life coach, a hypnotherapist as well, and also shares space with us in Malta, New York. And she also has two sweet pups, Boomer and PJ. So Kelly, yay, you're here. Yay. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you said yes to this. Me too. I'm excited. Yes, I am excited that you're here as well. So we, I don't even know how we met for thinking about this because you used to come to my Reiki meditation music classes mm -hmm. and I was holding them on Broadway in Saratoga Springs, New York. Kelly and her friend Sherry, who happens to be one of my Reiki students, these two women would come in and they were always excited for my class. And I think that might be where I first you know, met yeah. you. But when I worked at Four Winds Hospital, you still might have been working at the Center for Children and Family. I'm not sure because your name always sounded really familiar. And we had a lot of children that would come in and out. You know, we would cross refer. So I'm like, maybe I kind of heard from her there. And then we had a shared client at one point, And then that's when I really knew you. <laughs> and then my mom had passed away in 2019. And I knew that you were a grief specialist. And I said, she's got a grief group going on. I attended your grief group. And then COVID hit and our grief group yeah. got some, somewhat canceled. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And then, you know, after things started to open up a little bit, you and Sherry said, hey, we have an extra office space. Would you like to join us? <laughs> and move your office in here. And now here we are sharing office space together. So, yeah. So do you remember how we first met? 
It was that Reiki music meditation. Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. You guys were my regulars. You guys always came early. You picked your spots. And uh-huh. so, yeah. So I love really it. Cool. Yeah. So I'm actually probably going to get a chance to even learn a little bit more about you because I know we never really get a chance too much to talk about personal stuff. We're usually <laughs> trying to figure out groups that we're going to do and talking about business. But I would love for you to let my listeners know a little bit about your grief story and what really prompted you, motivated you, and inspired you to go into the work of grief, because I really do feel like it's a calling. Absolutely. It definitely is. I don't think most people choose to go into this without some sort of story behind it. So when I was 14, my mom died of breast cancer. She had been sick for about two and a half years. And July 28th, it was actually coming up in a few days. It will be her 28 years ago that she died. And I was I was a hot mess after that, really struggling, really didn't feel like I belonged, felt very lonely and isolated in my grief, cried myself to sleep most nights. And my dad recognized this and was like, you need to get help. And so I always tell this story because I think it's quite funny, but I went to an all girls Catholic high school and it was I was in 10th grade and extremely boy crazy. And obviously there was no boys at my school. So my dad told me there'd be boys at the grief group. So I went (laughs) in the hopes that I was going to have some boys in the group, which did not happen. But that group changed my life. I met three other girls there. They had all had their fathers die. And I met an amazing social worker, Rini. And she's really to credit why I am a social worker today. And that group really helped me feel less alone in my grief and helped me know that there were other teenagers out there that were grieving. You know, one in 14 children will have a parent or a sibling die by the time they're 18 years old. But when you're 14 years old going through grief, you don't know that statistic and you don't know how often it actually happens because I think most teenagers that are going through it probably don't talk about it with other friends. So that group really helped me tremendously, went through another group. And then I was like, what else can I do? Every time I saw reading, I was like, do you have another book I can read? Like I wanted to learn. I wanted to really understand what I was feeling. And then she asked me to start volunteering with the children's groups. And that's when I knew it. I knew that this is what I was going to do with my life. And so I decided to go to college at Florida State, started volunteering at hospice there and helping them with their children's groups and eventually became an intern. And halfway through my internship, they hired me and I worked there until I got my master's. And I was a children's bereavement counselor and helped them with their school-based grief groups. And then Moved out of Florida, moved up to the Carolinas. And as therapists, we tend to move around a little bit. So did some work in mental health agencies and then worked at another hospice in South Carolina, Hospice and Community Care in Rock Hill. And was a bereavement counselor there and helped grow their children's program pretty significantly over a course of a year. Went from serving about like 40 kids a year to over 200 in the first year I was there. I'm really proud of the work that I did there and the groups we did there. We started doing school-based programming and we did camps. We did an art program. We helped write a children's book on explaining hospice. So it was a really great experience there. Left the Carolinas, came up here. And again, trying to figure out where I wanted to go. Did some work with children who were sexually abused. Really got trained in trauma and EMDR, progressive counting. And then it was time for me to move on. So I went to my private practice. Actually, yesterday was five years that I had been full-time in private practice. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Started five and a half years ago. Started slowly to see if I could if I could do it and made that switch full-time. And it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself. 
And once I've been in private practice now, I'm realizing I'm going to do what I love. And that's grief and loss. And so now that's who I'm taking is only grief and loss clients. And it just fills me up every day. And I find meaning in my grief every single day by helping clients on their grief journey. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I'm so glad you finally took that jump. And I, I would say every clinician and friend that I know that finds the courage to jump into private practice, no one has ever gone back. I don't know of anyone, at least not yet, that, you know, I could say they did private practice and they were like, oh, it's not for me. I mean, a lot of people feel that freedom, like you said, to do what you love. It's kind of on your terms. You can create the groups that you want. And like you said, you're really offering a specialty type of therapy, like you are just doing grief and loss. Now, I want to let people know who are listening. You're not just licensed in New York State. No, I'm not. I'm also licensed in Florida. Right. And aren't you working on one of the Carolinas? Yes, North Carolina. I have my licenses on hold there, but I have to do some CEUs before I can get it active again. I kind of put it on hold once I moved to New York, but hopefully Hopefully soon. <laughs> and so, and you're also offering virtual therapy as well, too. For Florida and New York. For Florida, yes. for Florida and New York. So even though Kelly is based in New York and she has the private practice where you can come and see her in person, if you're listening and you're living in Florida, she does virtual sessions. And if you are somewhere in New York, but you are not close to Saratoga Springs, we're about 15 minutes from Saratoga Springs, and you're looking for a real seasoned grief therapist, Kelly is your woman to do that. So, all right. So you have been trained in a whole lot of different things. Let's talk about your love for your different models of grief and what it means to be grief informed, because mm-hmm. I've seen you online lately. You're putting some videos out there, really educating people what it means to be grief informed. So let's talk about that. So the Dougie Center has come out with a 10, 10 principles of being grief informed because the majority of our society is not grief informed. They don't get grief. You know, even therapists and medical professionals are given the training. I didn't take a grief and loss training in my social work program. I took one in the religion department, one in the nursing department, but there was none in the social work department at the time I went there. Now there is, but most graduate programs do not offer grief and loss. And the reality is every one of our clients is going to experience some grief and loss while working with them, whether it's from a death or a loss of a job or a divorce or some other kind of loss. Everybody experiences loss. And it's really quite sad that more education isn't done on the graduate level for therapists. Mm. And as you said, not every every therapist is, is equipped with the tools to do a grief and loss counseling. So it's really important if you are seeking out grief counseling that you find someone who has the knowledge and is grief informed. And basically what it means to be grief informed is that you have a knowledge of what grief and loss is and how to help them. We're not based on this old model that is out there about five stages of grief and loss. It's just not accurate and it's not helpful and it makes people think that they're doing grief wrong. And so these 10 principles that the Dougie Center came out with are really a great way for therapists to help them to be able to understand what grief and loss is and to be able to help and support their clients in a better way, in a more effective way, in a yeah, more so, up-to-date. So the the principles that you're kind of talking about, the old principles that were used, you might be referring to, is it Cooler Ross's stages yes. of grief? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I learned, it might have been when I was attending the Afterlife Conference when we were filming it, was that those were initially made for people who were dying Absolutely. Not people who were 69. Yep. Right. They were not for grief and loss. No. So, and I'm not saying that, you know, 
all therapists or social workers who are not specializing in grief all go to that or use that. There may be some, you know, therapists out there that may not have the training that you have that have some, but there could be some therapists that fully just rely on that. That was the only grief training that I ever got. I still have the book on death and dying. It was Kubler-Ross's that I got, I think, in my grad program. And then, you know, when I went to that afterlife conference and I said, and I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, these are the stages for people who are dying. It made a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. So would you like to share with us what the 10 grief-informed sure. principles are? Sure. Okay. All right. I'm going to use my cheat sheets. Yeah. Natural. Everybody experiences loss, right? We can't go through lo- We can't go through life without experiencing some sort of loss. Grief is p- complex and non-pathological. Because the new DSM has come out with a diagnosis, which is called prolonged grief disorder, it is making people think that they have a mental illness. You know, and if you look at what the criteria for this diagnosis is, is quite concerning. As I said in one of my videos, I would have been diagnosed with this as a teenager mm-hmm. because for adolescents and children, you're given six months past the death and yearning and longing, all normal parts of grief and loss is what they're saying is is a criteria for prolonged grief disorder. I certainly, after six months after my mom died, was nowhere near like stable and okay, you know, and so I would have definitely been given that diagnosis. And while that diagnosis does open up people to get out to maybe seek out therapy and maybe we have a a, a, a code we can use to diagnose for insurance companies, it's not helpful because grief is a normal, natural process. And now we're putting a label on it and telling people that they have a mental illness, which is just, it's very concerning. So that's the second one. Contextual. It's not an individual experience. Grief is interwoven in all areas of our life. We always talk about secondary losses, right? There's the loss. Like for me, there was the loss of my mother. Then there was the loss of, you know, the caregiving role that my mom provided, some financial and things, all these different secondary losses that are not, it's not just the primary loss. Disruptive. It impacts our identity. Who are we now? I talk to widows all the time. Who am I now? Am I still married or a parent who loses a child? Am I still considered a parent? How do they respond when somebody says, well, how many children do you have? That's a real big one that they talk about, that identity. I'm not sure. Do I, do I say I have three children, but one died? It, that's, a, that's a big thing. It impacts our identity for sure. It's relational connection and perceived support. We need support following a loss, not just in the first week, not just in the first month, You know, some of the research says that six weeks after a loss is when it really hits you. And I really believe that to be true because that's when everybody else's lives go back to normal. And that's when the reality sets in that this person is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And we have to figure out what our life is going to be like without them. And people, you know, that's when the cards stop coming in. That's when the flowers have died. That's when the meals train has stopped. And that's when people need you. They need you not just the first week, not just even the first month, but for a year, two years. Check in. Remember when the anniversary of the death is. Remember when that their loved one's birthday is and check in with them, connect with them. That's what they need. They need that support and they need to be able to talk about their loved one. You know, it's okay to say their name. There's a great poem, The Elephant in the Room, right? If we go by or we talk about everything else but the elephant in the room. And all we want is to hear our loved ones need. So, and then personal empowerment and agency. It makes us, grief can make us feel out of control and like we're losing it. I used to do a workshop at hospice called Am I Grieving or Growing Crazy? 
because that's what it feels like, right? Mm-hmm. And so knowing that that's what you're going through is normal and natural. You're not losing it. It's just you're grieving and it's a normal, natural process. Safety. You know, are we have to be concerned about somebody's safety. Are they emotionally safe? Are they physically? Everything that goes into it, their sense of safety in this world has been shaken and they need to be able to feel safe with people and knowing that they have people that they can support on and help them. Mm-hmm. Person-centered. Grief is unique and individual for each person. It looks different for everyone. You know, I always say if you had an identical twin sister, each of you are going to grieve differently. It's just, it's such a unique process. It's dynamic. There is no stage. It's not prescriptive. We can't say that grief is, oh, you're going to go from this to this to this. I wish it was like that, but that's not the case. And then non-finite. It is interwoven in everything. It is not this ending process. You're not going to all of a sudden get to 28 years later and be like, okay, you're doing great. I've been writing a chapter for a book that's coming out in October. And it was about my story of my mom's death. And every time I sat down to write that, I cried. And this is almost 28 years later. It still brought up so much emotion for me. So it isn't this ending date that we're ever going to get over. We just learn to live with it. So thank you for sharing those those stages with us. Is that what they're called? Stages? Um, Principles. Principles. For the the principles. The two that really stick out to me was the six-week time mark. And my six weeks would have been maybe mid-January or entering into February. And then COVID hit in March. So it was, uh, it was just like a really intense time because like you said, it's like everyone's checking in on you. My flowers were dying. And it's like, thank God people bought me plants, um, you know, and, and the phone calls and the text messages were less. And then all of a sudden the people who would still be checking in with me, every, everyone that I knew in my kind of support system then went into crisis because COVID hit. And I really felt like my grief and my ability to even process it was put on hold because now I'm questioning my own mortality. We didn't really know what COVID was. You know, all of my friends are now in a fight or flight or crisis and my mother's death no longer became significant, you know, in their lives per se, because they're worried about their children, their families, you know, and what's going on. And then I feel like I was able to return back to my grief once things settled down, because as being therapists, we don't just kind of get to put our business on hold because we're in crisis, right? So it's like, so here you are a therapist and you're grieving yourself, but then COVID hits and you have all of your clients who have their own trauma, PTSD, loss, anxiety. And it was kind of like, okay, you got to rise up again to the occasion. So it was a real balancing act in how to take care of my grief during that time. A part of myself, I just avoided it in all honesty and had to put it on hold. And then kind of return back to it. Anything you want to say about that or yeah, is that I mean, common think, or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for somebody grieving, going through COVID was just, it was awful. All the supports and the resources that they normally would have weren't there, right? You know, because like you said, everybody else was so worried about what was happening and their fears that they couldn't be available and there for you. And then there was so many people that experienced a loss, maybe not even COVID related or COVID related and how they were so isolated in their home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe being a widow and not having anybody else in the home and how isolating that was and, and going through this scary thing of a pandemic on top of grief, it was, it was really difficult. I really don't think we've really seen the fallout completely from COVID. 
for mental health wise and also for grieving people. I think probably a lot of people did have to avoid their grief for a little bit and kind of compartmentalize it. And, you know, what we know about grief is it will show back up at some point. <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, for me, it comes in waves. You know, it's like there's times where I'm like, whoa, really good. And then other times it just hits me like a ton of bricks. And, you know, I've gotten better at learning how to take care of myself during that time. And I think the thing that really helped me, and I don't know if you want to talk about Warden's Warden's theory on grief, but when I know that you and I were doing a retreat, a grief retreat, and I know that you're going to talk a little bit about this, but I think the thing that helped me the most was just coming to the real brutal acceptance that this truly happened and no amount of thinking, anxiety, what ifs, projecting into the future of what would have happened if my mom lived and what that would look like and how my life would have been differently. Like I just came to this brutal honesty of she's no longer here, April, now you got to deal with it. You know, kind of like I had, what helped me was to stop the fantasizing if she lived, to stop, you know, like I said, the what ifs and just really came to an acceptance that her life, her physical, you know, body is no longer here, that she has transitioned. And now what does my life look like without her being physically here? And I think Warden's theory there kind of fits really nice into the model that makes sense for me in the way that I grieved. So I was hoping you could share that too. Absolutely. So the first one is accept that reality of the loss, right? And that's not a, just a one-time thing. Even years down the road, April, there's probably going to be things that trigger you and you're going to be like, oh, wait, mom should be here for this or whatnot. And so it's these things that it, that accepting isn't just a one-time thing. It's constant, like really having to accept. And especially sometimes with people that we don't see all the time, it's real easy to just pretend like, oh, we just, they're just away or we just can't reach them right now. And so again, accepting that reality that they're really gone. The second one is basically leaning into the pain of the grief. And I always tell my clients, you're going to go, you're going to get so sick of me saying, but you need to lean into your grief. You need to feel it. As awful as it is, you need to feel it. That's the way to help you get through it. Not that you're ever going to get over it, but to make, you know, some progress so you can live a meaningful life, right? And you need to take breaks from it too. It's about a balance. You know, you have to lean into it, but also take breaks and take care of yourself and and do things that are going to help you feel good. I think, you know, it's it's complex there. And then to, you know, the third task is to adjust to an environment where the deceased is missing. Now that they're gone, where, you know, our brain, I just read The Grieving Brain and it really talks about like how we have these maps in our brain and how we're just so used to being able to know where our loved one is. And so that's why so much of like this brain fog and grief brain that we talk about it's really impacted because we're like, wait a minute, we can't understand where they are now. And we're trying to make sense of that, you know, in our environment that they're not here anymore. Right. And then the fourth one, which is my favorite, is to find an enduring connection with the deceased while embarking on a new life. How do you keep that continuing bond, which is another theory, right? And how do we keep that bond and that connection with them while still being able to live our life, right? What for me, I keep my connection with my mom. I find my meaning in my grief every day by doing this work. You know, I have a picture of her in my office. Sometimes I wear her ring or things like that. That just keeps that connection to her. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I have my mom's picture probably almost in every single room of my house. I have, you know, an ancestor altar. If you guys are watching this on Path 11 TV on this fireplace and I have pictures of her and, you know, just certain things of her that remind me of her. And like you had said, it kind of 
waxes and wanes. Like I recently got married this year. Right. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, I got to call my mom and see what she's going to bring. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. You know, and it was kind of like, oh, I wonder if she bought, you know, her dress yet and what she's going to wear. I had like three or four things that had happened during the planning of the wedding where it just kind of felt like, oh yeah, she's going to be there. Let me just reach out and call her. And I was like, you know, had those moments and it's been two years. I mean, it hasn't been a a ton of time, but you know, that definitely has happened for me. And uh, still that accepting that reality. Yep, exactly. And like you said, it will probably pop in and out, you know, many more times Mm -hmm. throughout my life. Mm -hmm. So I know that you recently got uh, trained in after-death communication using EMDR, and EMDR is one of the techniques that you use. So maybe before we get into the after-death communication, what techniques do you use in your practice that you find work really, really well? Why do you use them? And what have you seen in the application of some of the techniques that you use that are probably a little different than just traditional clinical talk therapy? Yeah. So I really, it it depends on the person, right? Obviously, children are very different. You use a lot of art activities, bibliotherapy, music. I use all different things with children. Adults, I meet them where they're at, you know, depending on what's going on with them. I use progressive counting, which is similar to EMDR, but my opinion, a little more tolerable and just as effective. And then I also use EMDR. And what the way I'll use those is especially if the death was sudden or tragic, Mm-hmm. Um, even if they didn't witness the loss, they have created in their mind what it looked like. Maybe it was an accident or whatnot, and they've created that in their mind. And so we can use EMDR, progressive counting, which are both trauma-based interventions to dial down the intensity of those emotions connected to that memory that they've created in their mind. And maybe they've witnessed it, maybe, you know, or maybe it's finding out that their loved one died. I've been, I've used that also. And Because my goal is I want them to focus on the life of their loved one, not on the death. Mm. And our brain is like Velcro to the bad and Teflon to the good, right? So our brain loves to stick to the bad moments, the the horrific moments, the ending, the death, rather than focusing on the life. So when we're able to process that memory of finding out or witnessing it or whatever it was, they're able to bring that intensity down so then they can focus on more of the positive memories. And so I use that a lot with a lot of my clients pretty early on. I teach a lot of tools. I'll teach EFT tapping to help kind of help them be able to self-regulate when they need to. I use a lot of guided imagery, visualization. How do you stay connected to your loved one? Maybe being able to resolve any unfinished business, things that you didn't get to say to your loved one. It really, it, it varies. It's I really, I meet the client where they're at and see what's going on and what they need help with and go from there. And obviously I want to hear about their loved one. I want to hear their story of their relationship. I want to hear the memories. I want to be able to get to know their loved one, even though I physically couldn't meet them. Yeah. And so for those people who don't know what EMDR is and TFT, because I sometimes kind of forget that, that there could be people who are just starting on their grief journey. They've never been in therapy before and they don't even know that EMDR and TFT exist, but that's like regular language for you and I. So could you define those two terms for people? 
short EMDRs, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It was developed by Francine Shapiro, and it's kind of the gold standard for trauma treatment. It uses eye movements, bilateral eye movements to help process the memory. The way I always explain it is when we go through a traumatic event or a difficult memory, it takes that memory and shatters it like puzzle pieces throughout our brain. So that's why we'll have these little images pop up, little maybe flashbacks or being triggered by a certain color or a sound. And EMDR, progressive counting, what they do is it puts all those puzzle pieces back together and then kind of puts it in long-term memory so you don't have such an emotional response. Now, I did, when I did my progressive counting training, I'm the kind that I go to a training and I'm like, oh, I'm going to work on all of my tough stuff because this is free therapy here. Why not? And so I did my mother's death. And I can now think about seeing her in the hospital that after she died and not have that feeling in my stomach anymore or have much of an emotional reaction to that memory anymore. So, and that was nine years ago. So it definitely helped me and sustains that amount of time. So, and EFT, I use EFT, which is emotion field therapy or tapping. And I use what's called faster EFT. So it's not necessarily the traditional EFT because I think it's too long and wordy. (laughs) I tend to change things up a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Great. Thank you for going through that because now I want to enter into the after-death communication training that you took. I remember the day where you ran up to me in the office. You're like, look at this book that I just got. It was induced after-death communication. I said, oh, that's so strange because Mike and I are getting ready to do a documentary on this. And then I bought the book and I read the book and I didn't go through the specific training, but I did have a couple of sessions where I tried some EMDR with one client of mine. And she indeed has had two after-death with three people that had died. And it was pretty phenomenal. She really is like a different person. And what it did, and I'm going to have you go into it a little bit more in detail, is exactly what you had just said. It replaced some of the finite like memories of when these people died and like the negative aspect of it and brought her totally back to wonderful memories of them when they were alive. So do you want to talk a little bit about what induced after-death communication is? Sure. Well, the first component of IADC is EMDR. So it's focusing, it's not like traditional EMDR where we target a specific memory. We actually targeting the core focus sadness because the belief is that really with grief, you know, anger and guilt are kind of secondary emotions. They kind of distract us from what we're actually really feeling and that's that core sadness of the loss. And so it's targeting that. It can be pretty intense, bring up a lot of emotions. But what tends to happen is after you do some really good work with the EMDR, with this course sadness, that after they kind of peak with their emotion, they come back down. And then you're able to do an induction of where they are able to maybe connect with their loved one in a different way. And so these after-death communications are occurring in about 70% of the cases in private practice. When Dr. Boykin developed it in the VA, He was having about a 95% um, rate of it happening and the VA, but private practice is looking about 70%, but still really great odds. And even if somebody doesn't have, I've had one client that didn't have an after-death communication, she still had tremendous benefit and value from the session because of helping with that core sadness, maybe resolving some of the more traumatic memories of her child's death. And so really being able to It really has helped her tremendously, even without that after-death communication. So it's it's pretty powerful stuff. I know when I've sat in the office, I can feel like when somebody is is having that after-death communication, I'm like, oh, wow. 
oh, I can feel something's going on right now. And it's been pretty amazing to watch. But like I said, I think it's a great tool, regardless of whether or not you have that after death communication. And I think going just to go in with new expectations, but it's going to help you with your grief, then that's the way to do it. So what have you seen in the clients that have had the after death communication during these sessions in your office? Um, One woman had a ton of people show up. Pretty much everybody that I think has died in her life showed up at that point. She had some really great closure with a parent figure and had connection with a child and other family. She was surprised by some of the people that showed up, but quite emotional, but really very powerful and felt tremendous growth and progress after that session really has been pretty life changing. Now, you also do this in a series. Is it of three sessions, three 90-minute sessions that you kind of back-to-back? Two. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. Two days in a row, 90 minutes. The first day is a full 90 minutes. Usually, there's not that after-death communication does not occur in the first session. You're really focusing on the core sadness. And then you come back the very next day and you continue to process any of the leftover sadness. And then you move into the induction. Now, recently, I had a two-session set up with a client, and we didn't need the two sessions. She had that after-death communication pretty quickly. Some of the things that are happening are quite interesting. One of my clients, as she was pulling into the driveway, her mom's favorite song came on the radio in her car. And I was like, oh, she's already here. And sure enough, she came through pretty quickly with this other client. She, Her father was coming through right away. Mm-hmm. And some really powerful stuff. I came out of that session that she didn't need to come back the second day. That's amazing. Now, are you able to also do this virtually with the EMDR? Can you do EMDR virtually? Yeah, I use a platform and it's really simple and easy and quite effective. Okay. And I know that with this, because people might be wondering, how do I pay for this? Is this covered by insurance? And this is not, this is something that is a private pay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, yep. you know, our insurance doesn't allow for 90 minute sessions and right. so, and two days in a row, probably not either. So this is, this is self-pay. Okay. All right. Good to know. So I'm sure people are also wondering, how do you hold all of these stories of grief yourself? How do you take care of yourself with being a grief therapist and hearing, gosh, I mean, just some of the heaviest stories. I think you probably have heard every type of death that is possible. You know, it's probably no death shocks you at this point, yeah. uh, but it's it's pretty heavy. You're dealing with, you know, grief is a very heavy emotion. When I'm thinking about the map of consciousness, we'll talk about that with one of the groups that we're going to be doing together, you know, and the way that it oscillates in the body is a very low frequency, you know, so you're being across from that on a daily basis. You sure some of these stories impact you. So if there are other grief therapists or people who are, you know, in this field and maybe they are lacking a little bit in self-care, what do you do to make sure that you can do this work as long as you've been doing it? I have good support networks, good colleagues to talk about, to process some of these things. You know, emotions come up. I'm human. Hearing some stories, my I, you know, my eyes will fill up with tears. I'm it's hard not to, but self-care is huge. You have to maintain. Obviously, Reiki music meditation is one of my favorite things. I've gotten really into big into breath work with both of us knowing Brigitte. And that's been tremendous because that helps really shift some of the, the physical side of what I hold on, letting it out in safe and healthy ways. And actually, I've had some after-death communications during breath work. 
of my mom. So that's really pretty powerful. She's come through a few times with that. I meditate. I play with the pups. I have a great husband who's extremely supportive, who gets it and understands that some days I come home and I don't want to talk. <laughs> I just want to veg out and watch some Netflix and then go to bed. <laughs> I run. I walk. I like to ride my bike. So I like to stay physical. I think that's important is to be able to get some of this out of my body. I do some clearing between sessions. I clear and release any energy and emotions that are not mine. I say that a few times between sessions, just to kind of keep myself grounded. I have crystals, you know, I sage my office sometimes. You know, I just, I I know I have to take care of myself. So yeah. Yeah. All great, all great tips. Yeah. And just try not to use as much sage as I do. I was teaching a class and we were using sage in one of the art classes (laughs) and it set off the fire alarms. The fire alarms were going off for about 20 minutes. The fire department had to come. So yeah, it's sage is always can be fun, but (laughs) I'll stick to my spray. (laughs) (laughs) So let's also talk about some of the groups because the one with running and I so wanted to take it this year, but I forget what happened. I think I was either teaching a group or I was going away to a retreat, but I couldn't, I could only come to like two of the five things and it's called Healing Strides, right? Mm -hmm. That's the one where you incorporate walking and running with movement and then people actually do a 5k with you. So can you talk about that? Sure. So Healing Strengths is my baby and I co-facilitate it with Lisa Mellis. She's our run-walk coach. And the first hour was a traditional grief group. And then the second hour we go outside and we train for a 5K race. And everybody's at different levels. There's some walkers, there's some run walkers, and then there's some runners. And then at the end of the group, we all ran the Fryhoffers 5K race for women together. And it was it's unbelievable. I could get very teary-eyed talking about it. There was a lot of emotion that day. I cried my way home because it was just so amazing and to see. And they all, all of the women in the group wore on the back of their shirts who they were running in memory of. Oh, and nice. that was that was really powerful and special to see. And just to see them have this goal that they worked towards and crossing that finish line and seeing them with that huge smile on their face was just, it's, it's worth everything. It's just, it's my favorite. Well, I think I'm, everybody I'm going to join it next year for sure. I'm going to make sure you're going to get me the dates ahead of time. <laughs> not planning anything. I want to get back into running again. So that would be, you know, great along with releasing more grief, right? And seeing what pops up for me next year. Yeah. Okay. So other groups, you work a lot with children. You do some grief camps. You and I are doing a couple of grief retreats. So why don't you just kind of share all the stuff that you're doing. And then we can talk about our grief retreat that maybe even some of you guys will actually come meet, meet me in person. I've had a couple of people that listen to the podcast come in for sessions actually is really That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So maybe we'll get some path 11 podcast listeners to our grief retreat, but yeah, let's talk about some of the other groups that you offer. So starting next week, I have a children's grief group for children in elementary school. We're going to meet on four Fridays and just to help them feel less alone in their grief and to learn some creative ways to express their grief. We're going to make drums one week. We've got some sand art we're going to do. We're going to do some movement and dance. So a lot of great ways to help them release their grief in unique ways and to feel less alone in there. That is insurance based. So we do take insurance for that. And that is, again, elementary school children. And then we're doing a bit of a creative adult grief group, not your typical ordinary and sit around and talk about your loss group. But each week is going to have a different theme and a different topic. We have two sessions. We're going to have grief yoga. 
with Kelly Apple. We have a session of breath work with Brigitte Toussaint. And then you're doing a session for us with the meditation and painting. And so super excited about that, getting, finding, you know, everybody grieves differently and needs different ways to express their grief. And, and why not let's try different techniques. We did breath work as part of Healing Strides. And one of the women did have an after-death communication during it and was pretty powerful, but they all were they all ran great that night and all like some of us were like, oh, sure, this is a lot, but they all loved it and it was pretty powerful and they really benefited from that. So super excited about that group to register for that group is on Eventbrite. And then we're doing our grief retreat, the Cardinal's Journey at the end of July. It's going to be a Friday night and a Saturday. We're going to use different creative activities as well. Some guided visualization. I'm going to teach some tapping. We're going to have do you want to share what you're going to be doing? Yeah, well, I think I'm also doing some sound bowl meditation with my crystal, my crystal bowls. And I now have nine of them and I had bought tuning forks and I have pyramids on the way, crystal singing pyramids. I don't know if they'll get there in time. And then I'm also going to be teaching the quantum healing art, the paint and meditate classes, because that really moved grief for me. Like I said, I kind of had put my grief on hold and my physical body started to manifest physical symptoms out of nowhere and Western medicine couldn't diagnose anything. And I intuitively knew that this is stored grief and just areas that Chinese medicine talks about where grief can be stored. Those were my aches and pains and symptoms were. Mm -hmm. And I found another teacher that really used art as a medium and who taught me about the David Hawkins map of consciousness and how to begin to move these lower frequency energies out of our body that could potentially be causing some physical symptoms and release them and let them go. And I had tremendous healing with that. And now all I want to do is like paint and teach these classes. So <laughs> I'm so glad that you selected that as the one for the unique grief summer group that you're doing. And then that's what I'll be doing for the Cardinal's journey. And also bringing in some techniques that I've learned from the shamans that I've worked with and we're creating an ancestor altar and, uh, you know, on the first night to be able to build that sacred space and for that sacred space to be able to hold us for the two days. And that grief retreat is happening in our office in Malta, New York. And we have such a clever location because we are right off of the Northway. And we also have two hotels that are literally within walking distance of like 150 feet. You can walk right out the door, walk to the hotel and be in your room. So again, for those of you who are listening, if you're out of state and you want to come and meet me and be a part of the stuff that I do through my Hannah's Healing business and and meet Kelly and heal. We would love to have you. That retreat, what does that cost again? Is it 175? 175, extremely affordable. You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck there. And, mm -hmm. and we are also limiting it to 15 people. So I think right now we have about five people registered and we have 10 spots left, but I think those are going to go quickly. We're doing a Facebook Live after this podcast and doing some more promoting. And like always with groups, people tend to register at the last minute, but we wanted to keep it small. And we're also hoping that maybe if our retreats really kick off that Kelly and I have some big visions of space that we're looking at to possibly open something a little bit larger that would allow us to hold larger events like this. And I know one of your dreams and visions is to open up a grief center, right? Absolutely. 
Yeah. So hopefully we can make some of those dreams come true. And so for those of you who are listening, if you would like to work with Kelly, she is available virtually and in person. Can you let people know what your website is? So if they sure. want to get in touch with you. Sure. It's glgrief.com as in greaterlifegrief.com. So glgrief.com. Great. And you can also find her on Instagram and Facebook as well. And uh, I just loved having you here. Well, thank you. Yes, it was fun. It was it was great to chat with you. And uh, maybe we'll get your husband on someday. Just putting the <laughs> pressure on because he has uh, he has some great offerings as well. And I've sat and talked with him a couple of times and things really shifted for me. So I think he also has a tremendous skill in the work that he does. And it's absolutely it's just wonderful to be around you and to share office space with you and uh, to have you there if I need you <laughs> in any way, shape or form to, you know, get me back on track if I slip into any, you know, grief there. So, so thanks again for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. All right. Thanks so much, April. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Please check out all the links in the show notes. I hope to see some of you at our retreat. That would be so awesome to see you guys in person. Again, it's a really easy venue to get to. There are hotel accommodations. You do have to pay for those. That's not included in our retreat free, but would love to see you guys. And I hope some of you reach out to Kelly. She's amazing and she will help you through your grief. So email her, let her know that you heard about her from the Path 11 podcast. And I will bring you guys another amazing guest next Monday. Take care, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com, and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path11TV today. Bye for now.